Um, in this case, he was a steel driver. So a steel driver was uh, the people that would literally drive steel rods with a nine pound hammer, usually, uh, into rock. And they would create long um, shafts that they can then uh, put nitroglycerin in. And then later they would use dynamite to explode the rock. And that's how they did tunnels uh, back then. Um, but men in these uh, tunnels would be inhaling lots of, of rock dust into their lungs and it would ultimately tear up their, their lung tissue and, and make it very hard for them to breathe. There was not very much incentive for the person who had gained your labor to take care of you because there was always another convict right behind you. We all know the folk-slash-blues song about the steel-driving man, John Henry. Now the real John Henry is the subject of a documentary at the St. Louis International Film Festival. The film delves into some of the true history of convict leasing that followed the Civil War, as we discussed with the film's director on St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. The Ballad of John Henry tells the story of a railroad man who could blast through rock faster than a steam drill. And he worked so hard, he died. They buried him in the sand, an early version of the ballad tells us. Now, John Henry is sometimes credited as the first blues song. There are more than 200 versions of it. It's, it's become one of the most covered folk songs in American history. But who was the real John Henry? St. Louis filmmaker Matthew Rice's new documentary takes a close look at how a young black railroad worker in the 1870s became one of America's greatest tall tale heroes. The film is called The Ballad of John Henry. Was he a real person or merely a product of a vivid imagination? This sort of question seems to have a peculiar fascination for the human mind. We're always asking how things got started, whether certain traditions are true or not. When John Henry was a little baby, no bigger than the palm of your hand, well, he looked at that hammer just sitting by the door, said, I'm going to be a steel-driving man, boy, boy. I'm going to be a steel-driving man. And that is from the film The Ballad of John Henry. The film is showcased in the 29th annual Whitaker St. Louis International Film Festival, which kicked off yesterday. You can stream this documentary for free through November 22nd. And here to discuss it is Matthew Rice. Matthew, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So what got you interested in the legend of John Henry? Uh, yeah, so I originally was interested as a kid. I think that's how a lot of people get introduced to John Henry. Um, I watched, you know, several films, read uh, Jack Ezra Keats' great book on it um, as, a, as a child. Um, so that started my fascination with it. Um, and then after that, uh, as I got older and learned a little bit more about our history, I got uh, more interested in whether this was a true story or not and ended up... Um, coming across a really great book by Scott Reynolds Nelson, mm -hmm. a labor historian who um, wrote about, it's called Steel Driving Man, the book, and he wrote about 
a, uh, a very likely uh, version of who the real John Henry was. And yeah. that's what is uncovered. I mean, <laughs> I came into this thinking your movie was going to be dismantling this tall tale. And it turns out, um, you know, based on this book, there's a lot of evidence that there was a real John Henry. And public records provide details that echo the lyrics in a way that's almost uncanny. So who was this John Henry who public records show worked on the CNO railroad line? That's the railroad line that, that went between Virginia through the Allegheny Mountains um, up to the Ohio River. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you, uh, there are many versions or many theories, I guess, on who the real John Henry could be. Uh, the one that Scott Nelson uncovered, I believe, to be kind of the best um, researched, has the most evidence, and that's why I focused on it. Um, so this real John Henry, his, his full name is John William Henry, uh, as uh, census prison census records show. Um, he was a convict at the Virginia State Penitentiary, um, and he was arrested right after the Civil War um, under a series of very unjust laws that are colloquially called the uh, Black Codes mm -hmm. um, during that time. Every state in the South had their own kind of version of a Black Code law. Uh, but in this case, um, he was arrested for shoplifting and um, ended up, uh, within a year uh, of being imprisoned, he ended up um, working on the CNO Railroad, which is commonly referred to in many songs, uh, uh, John Henry Ballad songs. Um, and he ended up working on the railroad through uh, a convict lease labor. Uh, system. So you end up getting into this dark history of convict leasing, and this um, is just some eye-opening history for those who are not already familiar with it. This is very soon after the Civil War. Um, these ex-cons were rented out in ways that, that basically put them back into slave labor. Here's what the experts that you interviewed told you about that. Convict leasing definitely was pretty common right from the end of the Civil War up through the 1890s. There was not very much incentive for the person who had gained your labor to take care of you because there was always another convict right behind you. The CNO Railroad wasn't the only company to employ cheap labor from the Virginia State Penitentiary. Some convicts were hired to cut wood on a nearby farm. Another railroad employed convicts to help line track. Men were being sent to work all over Virginia, and these various work contracts seemed to be panning out for the penitentiary. And that is from the new documentary, The Ballad of John Henry. My guest today is filmmaker Matthew Rice, who's based here in, in St. Louis. And so John Henry gets leased out under these terrible conditions to the railroad line, and he ends up driving steel. This is something that your film does such a great job of explaining. What was he physically doing there uh, as they're building this railroad? Thanks so much. Yeah, so um, what we commonly, whenever we... Uh, watch some of the videos, read some of the books. Uh, John Henry is usually depicted as nailing in cross ties for the railroad, uh, which and lining track. That was uh, a very, very common um, job during the railroad times. But um, in this case, he was a steel driver. So a steel driver was a, a very important part of the process of building a tunnel. Um, they were the, the people that would literally drive steel rods with a nine pound hammer, usually, uh, into rock and they would create long um, shafts that they can then uh, put nitroglycerin in, and then later they would use dynamite to explode the rock and basically create a hole through, through the mountain. And that's how they did tunnels uh, back then, um, which would have been very laborious. And um, as the explosions ended up, um, so the, as 
nitroglycerin then turned into to dynamite, that part of the process sped up very quickly, um, but the, the real bottleneck in, in this whole process was the steel drivers. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where this steel, uh, the steam drill comes in. So the steam drill was a machine that they thought could easily make these holes without the, the use of um, labor. Um, but um, in some cases it was very effective and in other cases it wasn't. Um, yeah. And this steel driving, um, this is such a digression, but man, I have to mention this. As you talk about in your film, this is actually where the phrase rock and roll comes from, is the work these guys were doing as they're, as they're driving steel into these mountains. And that's kind of the happy side note. The sad side note is, as your film points out, this was terribly dangerous work. What made this so hard on the human body to be driving this steel? Yeah, so I, the, kind of the most obvious um, injuries that would have occurred is uh, you had one man who would have to hold the this uh, drill bit, and um, as the other person is hammering into it, it could have easily slipped and hit him in the head. Mm. Um, so that's the most obvious, but um, really the thing that I uh, records show that could have potentially been the, the worst is... Um, called silicosis. So um, back in the day, they would they had a shorthand term for it called consumption, which was, uh, you know, embodied all lung diseases. Um, but men in these uh, tunnels would be inhaling lots of, of rock dust into their lungs, mm -hmm. and it would ultimately tear up their, their lung tissue and, and make it very hard for them to breathe. So a lot of these men who went out on the railroad, there's records that show that um, as more convicts were sent out to work, uh, many more came back dead. So, yeah, I mean, so many of us have driven through these Allegheny Mountains and seen these tunnels that go through them. We've never once thought about the human toll. How many convicts do we know uh, died in these projects? Oh, I think it's it's tough to uh, count all the numbers. Um, but... I think it just as as the years progress, especially I wanted to focus specifically on the the tunnel construction on on the Lewis Tunnel, which is where this film takes place. Mm -hmm. um, in that case, it would progress every year by the hundreds. So wow. within three to four years, you had two hundred men being reported killed for consumption. And so one of the other terrible side notes in this film, I'm making this film sound like such a downer. It's actually a wonderful film, and I really want people to see this because it's also very important. I just learned so much history, is that they would ship the bodies back to the, the state penitentiary after these convicts died working there. Explain for us why they were doing that. Yeah, it's a really strange uh, thing that occurred, but essentially they when they created these sort of... Um, uh, contracts during the, uh, the the convicts lease labor system was so new that um, they would send men out and they would have to account for them even if they died. So um, they would uh, have a system which luckily I was able to kind of track through the Library of Virginia who did a wonderful job of archiving all these all these documents. But they would track how many convicts they would send out um, to work on the CNO and then ultimately they had to account for each man who came back whether they were alive or dead. Mm -hmm. um, and so within the contracts, um, essentially they, they rid, wrote in, well, the governor at the time wrote in a, a stipulation that said, um, if you don't send back the convicts, um, there will be a $100 fine. And during that time, a $100 fine was huge. Um, so if you had 200 men who passed away on the railroad, that would be a huge um, debt to incur. So you gotta so send the body back as, as proof this man is actually dead. Correct. And Ugh. ultimately, they ended up, we believe there was a, um, a 
about 10 years ago, there was an archeological uh, dig right outside where the state uh, penitentiary was located and they found hundreds of bodies um, likely to be convicts from that time frame. Um, so that's where in the song, there's a lyric that says uh, he was buried uh, outside the White House in the sand. And ultimately that's where we believe he was, he was buried. And when you say the White House, this turns out, this was an amazing find by Scott uh, Reynolds Nelson. It turns out not the White House in DC. This was a White House there in the state penitentiary, and it's right where, right near where all these bodies were found. It almost gives me chills knowing that this folk song, it seems like these facts just line up so precisely. I mean, it seems like the more you dig into this, you found these original sources, and, and Scott Reynolds Nelson found these original sources that, that suggest um, the true story behind this song. Yes, you're correct. And all the connections were kind of eerie. In fact, the White House, uh, so it was a big white building. That's why they call it the White House. But the architect that designed uh, the Virginia State Penitentiary is also an architect who helped design the actual White House. So it is crazy how everything kind of um, aligns. And every time I would find a new fact or something, I, I wanted to include it. Uh, but there's just so much there um, that I also wanted people to go and discover it for themselves if they wanted to. Yeah. So this is your first feature-length documentary. You actually won the Jury Award for Best Editing um, at this year's St. Louis International Film Festival. It seems like such an accomplishment just to have this, this film completed. Then this is the cherry on top. Was this the most intense project you've ever worked on? Yes. Yeah, so this is my uh, first feature film. I did a couple of uh, short documentary films uh, previously. I understand um, you worked with Ken Burns briefly. I did. I learned their whole process, which was amazing. Um, so I was an intern at Florentine Films, which is his production company, and I helped worked on, at the time, it was the Vietnam War. Mm. Um, and it was amazing just being a part of that process and understanding how they put, uh, do all the research, put together all the, the information, and really tell uh, a compelling story. Um, so that's kind of where this all started. Um, it inspired me to go off and kind of chase down my own project. This honestly became a labor of love. It, it took me over five years to, uh, to finish it. And uh, I wouldn't uh, be 100% honest with you if I didn't say I, I gave up on it a few times in between. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it just kept echoing again um, back in my mind what I wanted to put all these pieces together. It was a puzzle that I wanted to complete mm. and finally did. And you did. And, and now we can all watch this. We can watch it for free. Um, and I, I, you know, this is definitely worth watching. One question I want to I want to make sure that we ask here before the end is this was just one of many convicts who died making this railroad, one of many um, uh, uh, black men who ended up being part of this convict leasing program. Why do you think this story of this John Henry, who, who apparently worked so hard trying to beat this steam drill that he died? Um, why do you think this became such a legend that, that carried on for so many years? and led to this this song. Yeah, thanks so much for asking that. I think that is really important and honestly was the reason I kept, I stuck with it. So um, originally the song that was sung, it was uh, men would sing songs uh, while they were working on the railroads. They were called work songs. Um, and those are the earliest forms of like blues um, lyrics and, and that sort. So um, the reason why they sung the song is uh, essentially that they wanted to keep time with the rhythm of their work. Um, and in the process, that it was um, originally a warning to 
all workers, mm. that if you work too hard, you might end up like John Henry and die. Um, so it had a very dark connotation in the beginning, and I kind of focused on it in the film, but I think it's just so fascinating how we kind of flipped it and made it more of a positive story, um, and that's become kind of the, the main narrative. Um, so yes, the original story is very tragic, but I think it was so important to, to dive into it a little bit further because I think it um, uncovers so many things that occurred uh, in American history during that time that we, we like to try and cover up a little bit. Well, Matthew Rice, I want to thank you for uncovering it, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Matthew's film is The Ballad of John Henry. It's now playing at the St. Louis International Film Festival. You can stream it. It's actually for free to stream it. That's at cinemastlouis.org. And let's go out of the show with one of the many versions of The Ballad of John Henry. This one has vocals by Richard Buckner, Melanie Claren, Alex Liu, and Stephanie Rogan. Monday on St. Louis on the Air, we'll check in with healthcare workers as COVID-19 diagnoses spike across the metro area. And we'll talk to Nene Harris about her new book, Oldest St. Louis. She found some really old stuff. We'll discuss some of the oldest things in the city. More reporting from the St. Louis on the Air team is available at stlpublicradio.org. Never miss a conversation by subscribing to our podcast. You can find St. Louis on the Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hemphill, Lara Hamden, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. The audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.